Voices of the Elephant is proudly sponsored by SiteGround.com, a leader in website hosting and a terrific partner for all your website projects. Their top-notch technologies will make your websites fast and secure. Welcome to the Voices of the Elephant podcast. Each episode of Voices of the Elephant brings you an interview with a member of the PHP community. From project leaders to user group organizers, we talk to the people that are helping make the PHP community special. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Voices of the Elephant. I'm Wasim Karate, and today my special guest is Ben Ramsey. Welcome, Ben. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. I remember that the first time ever I saw you was, uh, I think, back to Sunshine PHP in 2015. And I was so excited to see you. You were someone who is always doing some tasks and not wasting any time. But I also remember that you have a faithful companion. It was sitting on your legs, literally next right. to you. Can you tell, tell us about him? That's right. His name, he was a tiger and his name is Rar. He was a stuffed animal, uh, still is, that my son had. And I guess, so that was six years ago, seven years ago, almost. He's now 14. So Rar is, I think Rar is still in his room, but he's up on a shelf somewhere. But yeah, I used to take Rar around with me to conferences to, as a way to communicate back and forth with Sean. And uh, Sean's the name of my son. And he, uh, I would post pictures on a Facebook page for him and uh, Sean got to kind of see where RAR would go. So he was like a little traveling companion to keep in touch with my son as I was going to conferences. Nice. And the second time we interacted was probably back in 2017 when you organized the PHP Test Fest. And I was honored to have been able to... You got me on board and uh, it was the few little things that I did, but I enjoyed working with you a bit. It was great. And today I'm so excited to chat with you mainly because for me, you are, if not the, the one person, but among the first person in this small niche that is highly involved both in the community, within the community, outside the community, as well as with the language, so much highly involved. And uh, it's a great pleasure today talking with you. I have a lot to ask you. Let's start by introducing yourself. Uh, where do you live? What you do as a profession and what exciting projects you're currently working on? Sure. Well, my name is Ben and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, which is kind of like in the middle east of the United States. And uh, there's no oceans nearby or anything. We are way away from the water. It is very humid today. I went out and had lunch at my son's school and I was melting. <laughs> but it's only 82 degrees, so it's not very hot. That's Fahrenheit, obviously. It's just very humid. But I live here. I have been working from home remotely since about 2014. And uh, right now, I work for a company called Skillshare, and uh, I'm a staff engineer there. 
I have been around, as you were mentioning, I've been around PHP since about 2001. And I've been involved in the community since probably around 2003 and in some way or another. So I, I know a lot of the people in the community. I know a lot of the people who used to be in the community. I've dabbled you know, around a little bit with core programming and uh, still don't feel very confident in my C programming skills, to be honest. But yeah, I've been around for a long time. And I guess the reason I'm still around is because I've gotten a lot of value out of my interactions with the community, a lot of friends, a lot of knowledge I've gained. My career has been successful because of it. So that's why I stick around. And as for projects I've been working on, let's see. So there's always the UUID library that I have that I've been working on for years. And I just did a a new release of that. It was just a patch level release, but uh, to support PHP 8.1. And there are several other libraries that I have that I've been working on that kind of support as well for 8.1. Also, some just tiny little side projects. One is I started taking all of the data that's on the PHP wiki for the RFCs and trying to like compile it in a machine-readable kind of automated way, just mainly for fun. Like there's no specific reason for it, but uh, so that's on my GitHub repository or, or it's the, the repository for that is on my GitHub. Yeah. So there's, I feel like there's a lot going on. <laughs> I could probably go on for a long time talking about all the little things I'm working on. You should have a lot on your plate. Regarding the... Uh... Probably too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get back in a moment. Taking a step back, was there an IT influence to your childhood? How did you get into programming and PHP? No, there wasn't really a big IT influence on me when I was a kid, but I was interested in computers. I think that my interest in computers came because my grandparents had a computer and I liked playing on it. And so when I was in fourth grade, which was in 1988, my mom went to a yard sale and got this old Atari 400. I don't know if you know what an Atari 400 is, but it's it's like a, this keyboard thing that you had in a cartridge slot. And the cartridge slot would be where you could plug in games or you know whatever else and it came with a basic cartridge the basic programming language and it also had a cassette deck like a tape you know a magnetic tape cassette deck that you would plug into it and you'd record programs onto the tape player and then you would play them back from that to run them so i started playing around with basic programming when I was in fourth grade, just to kind of play around with it. Then uh, later, when I was in high school, I started building websites, but I never really thought of it as a career. So it was not something I did not go to college to get a computer science degree. I have an English degree <laughs> because I, I don't know, I didn't have a lot of foresight, I guess. So I didn't think that websites were going to be a career, but I was wrong. 
<laughs> well, Turned out it, it's a great career. It's a very different kind of twist from the actual language, English language, to a programming language. Wow. I don't think it was a huge twist. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of similarities, syntax and grammar. And I think that communication skills are very important in software development. And so there was a lot of communication skills that I feel like I gained from that. And the ability also to communicate ideas in a logical and fluid manner, I guess is a good way to put it. But I think that those skills are sorely lacking in the industry. Now it's time for you to be a game changer with the Ring Central Developers Game Changer Program. Grow your skills, help others in the community, and get rewarded with awesome prizes like Ring Central swag, conference tickets, software, iPads, computers, and so much more. Don't just be a developer, be a game changer and join the program today. For more information, visit developers.ringcentral.com. I know you must have been out several times, but how do you get actually started in PHP? That's, a, that's kind of a funny story. In 2000, I was building websites. I started out in Perl and then moved to classic ASP. And our websites were ASP with uh, a Microsoft Access database, which is just a file sitting on the server, right? So I was building websites like that. And I got put on a project that had been written in PHP 3. And I needed to make some changes to it. So I started working on that. I made changes directly to the files over FTP. So there was no like IDE or anything like that. I made the changes directly on the production server as we did. Also... If we move forward a few months from that, I had to start on a new project and we were going to try to start with PHP on this project. Mainly for money reasons, ASP had an issue where every time, every time you built a new site and you wanted to communicate with the database, you had to pay a new license for the... Uh, I, I'm not going to remember the name of it now, but it was like one of the drivers or the adapters to talk to the database. And so... It was a per site license or maybe a per CPU license or something like that. But we had to pay it and we didn't want to pay it. And so we were looking for an alternative. And PHP was one of those alternatives that came up. Java server pages was also another alternative I was looking at. So I went down the path of trying to get PHP installed on the server. And this was an old Red Hat five or Red Hat six, I, I don't remember which number it was, but it was on a Cobalt Rack server. And this is like really old stuff. So I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm going way back. Okay. Um, but the we were actually running ASP sites on this server 
even though it wasn't a Microsoft server. And that's because we were using a something called ChiliSoft ASP, which ran on Linux. So I built PHP and installed it, and I built it with Apache on that server. But this also was our production server, which another stupid thing I was doing. And I caused the sites to come down, all of the sites, uh, all of the ASP sites, and we couldn't figure out why. For a long time, for like a week, our sites were down. We finally gave the guys at ChiliSoft access, root access to our server to try to figure it out. They couldn't figure it out either. All they knew is that when they disabled PHP, the sites worked. So they had to disable PHP. Many years went by and I realized later that I think what happened was we had set up PHP probably to parse every file and not just .php files. So it saw the ASP tags on the ASP files and tried to parse what was in those and tried to uh, execute it. And of course it couldn't. So I think that's what brought it down. But that was my first big experience with PHP. It did not scare me away though, mainly because I started asking questions on the mailing list at that time. And it was the general mailing list and everyone was so helpful. And that was something different from what I saw on other programming mailing lists. So I stuck around because everyone was super helpful in uh, uh, getting answers to questions I needed. And this was before I could go to Stack Overflow and just look up the answer. So that was a, a really helpful first experience. Regarding the user list that you were emailing to, was it uh, like there was a lot of people at the time or was it just getting started with a few um, more people? That mailing list is still around. It's the PHP general mailing list. And as opposed to the internals one that a lot of people talk about, it is not very active these days. But back then, it was a very active mailing list. And I mean, it was one of the few places you could go to for PHP help that was an official source of help. There were a lot of forums and message boards around at the time. And uh, I have some friends that got their start helping people on those forums and message boards. But uh, yeah, it was a much more active mailing list at the time with a big community. Let's focus a bit on the community side. Like I mentioned, you are the very first PHP people to have been kind of on the round table of the core community members and have been consistently adding value to and contributing to the community as well as the language. Is it safe to say that you are among those founding community members along Elizabeth Naramo? I don't know if I would say I'm a founding community member. The community existed well before I got involved. There are uh, parts of the community that, and there are some people who go all the way back to 1995 when uh, Rasmus first posted this. There are still people who are active from that time. So I wouldn't call myself a founding community member, but I am certainly one of the longest like, active community members, I guess. Yeah, I don't really want to like, take credit for something like that, but I have been around for a long time. So, and it's been a privilege to, to kind of get to see the community grow and evolve over time. You have been uh, there since the year 2003. 
I want to get a glimpse of your memory during those early years. Who was the key community person at that time and how did you integrate the community? At the time, I think that the community was it was different, but not, not a whole lot different. I think you have to kind of understand that we didn't have all the frameworks back then the biggest projects at that time were probably Joomla. Well, it wasn't called Joomla then. It was called Mambo. And Yes, I remember that name. Also, I think Typo3 was around then. And PHP BB was definitely around. And also WordPress was very new. So it was just getting started. And there was another thing called... People who remember this might laugh, but are get a chuckle. But there was another project called PHP Nuke, which was yes, very uh, popular and also became infamous for security holes. But so the the community existed largely as like internals, people who were like working on the language, and then people who were working on these other projects around the language and. Also, there were oh, there was Pear as well, uh, which had a really big community behind it. Uh, and then there was a bunch of other stuff going on. That, I mean, I'm, I've distilled it down to like really a few key things, but there were a lot of other uh, pockets of communities around. So the community has always been big and never, never homogenous and never all unified. So I think that's important to know when when we talk about like parts of the community or the community as a whole, that there are you know, a bunch of different facets to it. We might group them all together, but there's no way that I could possibly know everyone across all the different communities. So I say all that as a lead up to try to answer your question now. <laughs> I think that the people that I remember back then that were pretty vocal and prominent in the community the one who kind of got me involved was Chris Schiff. And shortly after I met Chris, then I met Elizabeth Naramore and you know a whole bunch of other people. I mentioned her because you mentioned her earlier. But I think Chris was kind of the, the one who really encouraged me and a bunch of other people. He brought in a bunch of other people together who did not know each other before. And so this was a, a project that he started that was phpcommunity.org. And he wanted to create this as a way to, to bring the communities together uh, because there were all these different kind of factions around and, and pockets. This was an effort to try to bring a lot of them together, mainly so they could get to know each other. And through that, there can be innovation when people get together. Wow. So it was uh, Chris who has uh, created the php.org uh, Yes. I want to touch a little bit about PHP Appalachia Retreat. Uh, am I pronouncing it well? PHP Appalachia. Appalachia. Or Appalachia, uh, I guess, depending on where you're from. I have a, it, a it French be, access. It could be either way French in the US. Yeah. Okay. Which you organize. Uh, can you narrate us a bit how it all started and what was the objectives behind I, again, this was through meeting all these people. We originally all met on uh, IRC in the PHPC channel on uh, Freenode. 
Uh, that channel is still on Freenode right now, but everyone has left Freenode to go to Libera chat. Can you talk a bit about this? It's the first time I come across this. Oh, sure. So Freenode for a long time was a place where open source projects could have official chat channels. And it was open for, for specifically for open source projects. But this year there was a buyout or a takeover or something of the Freenode administration. And a lot of the staff who were not aware that this was happening decided to leave. Uh, meanwhile, the person who was now in charge was kind of a jerk about some things and they wiped out the entire database, which got rid of all the channels and everyone's mm -hmm. accounts. So at that point, that's when I just said, well, I'm not going to go back because that they're just doing all sorts of weird, crazy things. But yeah, so that's what happened. The staff that were running Freenode left and went and formed a new network called Libera. And so a lot of the open source channels that used to be on Freenode have moved over to Libera. Okay. Uh, so yeah, um, going back to PHP Appalachia. So we all met on Freenode IRC and the PHPC channel. And it was kind of a, I guess we were just kind of, you know, tossing out ideas one day and someone said it would be great to do like a camping trip together. And that morphed into, well, we could all get together in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in, in North Carolina and have kind of a get together. So that, that uh, Elizabeth Naramore and I organized that first one and we had to get together. And then there was a second one two years later that I think Keith Casey and Elizabeth Naramore uh, put together. And we did that one not far from the original one. It was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. That year we had a cabin that all of us stayed in, just one huge cabin. We called it the Beast. I think it slept like 36 people or something like that. It was a Whoa. huge cabin. <laughs> and then Brian Moon from Deal News, his company rented the cabin right next door, which slept another huge amount of people. And so the two cabins together, we had quite a, quite a neat crowd. I don't know, 30 to 40 people or something. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We had, we had some talks, but most of it was just hanging out and uh, having fun. Sounds exciting. Whoa. I don't know if we would do it again, but it's something that comes up every few years as, hey, remember that time? It was pretty fun. Maybe we should try it again. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of all golden memories, uh You also organized PHPCon, the PHP Community Conference, uh, which had as an aim to be a conference for people who care about PHP and what they make with it. That purpose conveys a lot of passion and emotion in there, at least for me. I want to dig in into your past again. In what state of mind were you and what made you create that conference with that core purpose? That conference was created because of mainly directly as a result of Chris Shiflett's Brooklyn Beta Conference. He started Brooklyn Beta, I think their first year was in 2010. And 
or maybe 2009. I don't remember exactly when the first year was. But after that, there was, I had been wanting to do a conference for a long time, one that was just a smaller conference that was a little more of an intimate setting that wasn't at a hotel or a convention center and mainly focused on what people were building with PHP. And after Brooklyn Beta and I saw kind of how they ran their conference, it was exactly that. It was an intimate setting. It was a lot of people all together with one, a single track of talks. And each talk was really focused on what someone was building with tech and what problems they were solving. And it wasn't really about the tech itself. It was about the problems they were solving with tech and how they were helping other people. So I thought, well, that would be great to really kind of see what people are doing with PHP, what kinds of projects they're working on, what kind of products they're building, and have them you know, present those to people to, to kind of inspire them to also go build products that help people. So uh, that, that was really the goal behind it. And I feel like we were really successful with that. Uh, we only did it that one year, though. Shortly after that, that was in 2011 in April. And then like there were community conferences everywhere. But the main reason I haven't done it again is just it's a lot of work to do a conference. And so all the other people who do conferences, my hat's off to you. It's a lot of work. If you can do it more than once, you are an amazing person <laughs> who has much more enthusiasm and excitement and uh, yeah, to put something like that. And I guess the word I'm looking for is energy. Yes, it's energy. <laughs> you have to have a lot of energy to put on a conference and you have to be able to put up with a, a lot of disappointing things. Things go wrong. You also have to be willing to maybe sacrifice some of your own money, which is not a fun thing to do. And uh, as I know, I have friends who've lost money uh, on conferences. And uh, so, yeah, I think that those things all kind of play into why I haven't done that again. Was it uh, the very first PHP conference at that point in time? No, no. Um, this was 2011. So the first PHP conference itself was back in 2000 in Germany. And I don't have their names in front of me, but I do know, I know the people who, who put that on. Actually, no, I think I'm wrong about that. There was one in Germany in 2000, but I think the very first was in Japan in 2000, earlier in the year. And uh, I met one of the organizers of that conference at PHP World a few years ago. So that was very, uh, very neat to get to meet her. What would be your best memories of uh, PHPCon? My best memory is watching Chris Hartges, you know, grumpy programmer, uh, ride a yes. mechanical bull. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a picture of him somewhere riding this mechanical bull. That, that's one of my favorite memories. We had an after party at one of... So it was in Nashville, was, was, was where the conference was. And Nashville has these bars downtown with, where it's all all the music is, there's no cover charge to get into them. So 
All the bands are playing for free. They're paying, playing for tips. Uh, so they have a lot of good country music or other kind. They have other styles of music too. Country is the one most people think of in Nashville, but there's, there's some rockabilly clubs too, which I, I actually enjoy those. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So we went to one of the bars as an after party and had rented out the upstairs of it. And they had a mechanical bull. And a lot of people, we took turns going around <laughs> riding the mechanical bull. I think Microsoft actually sponsored that party. Maybe Mark Brown from Microsoft was the one who sponsored that party. But it was a lot of fun. You're involved in uh, leading and organizing user groups as well. Can you update us on which user group you're currently leading and involved? I, I like how you said which one you're currently leading. Like I've yes, led like so I've many user like, groups. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've only led two user groups. One, uh, The one I'm at right now is uh, Nashville PHP in Nashville. And the one previously was Atlanta PHP in Atlanta, Georgia. The one in Nashville right now, I mean, things are kind of slow right now. We had several good months this year with talks, but uh, it's, you know, I think that, you know, the pandemic has worn everyone out. <laughs> true, so, true. So it's, it's been harder to kind of like even, it's not that it's hard to find, um, to find speakers or anything. I think that that's not such a hard thing to do, but it's hard to kind of just feel any energy behind organizing something like that, at least for me. From your rich experience and, uh... I want to ask you, do you have an idea which part of the world has the most, let's say, enthusiastic or most highly involved PHP community? That's a good question. I think there are two parts of the world that come to mind. One is Brazil, and the other is Japan. I think that I've had the opportunity to go to, uh, to visit Brazil uh, and speak at one of their conferences. And that was probably the largest conference crowd I've ever spoken at, largest PHP conference crowd. And I have heard similar things from the uh, Japan conference. I think that they have a large conference there. I have heard great things from others who have been able to go speak at that conference. And uh, I hope one day I'll get to as well. But those two communities, I think, have I've seen a lot of activity from them within their own communities. And it's a shame, really, that like the Western, or, or I'm sorry, I guess Brazil is is part of the Western world technically. But it's a shame that like North America and Europe and Africa and those communities aren't really as tied into. I guess, the Asian community or even the Brazilian community. It would be great to see a lot more cross-pollination between those communities. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing you, you, you mentioned there. Let's step a bit into your PHP technicalities. Um, you seem to be someone who is very meticulous about tooling when it comes to PHP, and you have a special focus to develop experience. I want to ask you about your beliefs and stance on uh, developer experience? I think developer experience is one of those things that's really come to the forefront in the recent 
in the last five years, 10 years. It was not something we thought about often in the past, although it's always been there. I think the experience that a developer has when they're building software is really important. And it's something that's important for us to take a look at. I think that it is, this is really my opinion about it because I haven't done enough research into it, but I think this is a trend that has come out of developer advocacy because developer advocates have to work with developers. That's who they're selling to for the most part. And selling their products to developers, they're really selling tools and uh, their SDKs, and they're trying to get developers to use them. So the easier their tools are for a developer to use, then the more likely developers are going to use their tools. So I think that that's really where this whole developer experience focus has, has kind of arisen from. But among those of us who build open source tools, it's extremely important that we take the same focus because we're building tools for developers to use, and we want them to be easy for those developers to use. Otherwise, they're not going to use our tools, and, and our tool doesn't solve a problem. And the, the same thing goes for like even our own teams within the companies we work for, or even if we're a one-person team, a one-person shop, we need to focus on the tools we use that make our doing our jobs easier because that helps us kind of get the work done. It helps us have more enthusiasm, more joy in the work we do. I think your tools can can affect really your mood, even when it comes in down to just how you feel about development. If you hate development, maybe you should take a look at your tools. That may not be the only reason you hate development. Maybe there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Maybe it is the community that you hate because there are bad people in that community, but that's a different topic. It could be your tools too. So uh, that's something I've been feeling really strongly about lately. And I think um, one of the things that's brought it to my attention is, among other things, is it seems really prevalent in the JavaScript community to talk about developer experience. And it seems really prevalent in the Laravel community to talk about it. But I haven't seen a lot of discussion among other groups in the PHP world. So that's why I've kind of started talking about it a lot more this year, especially with a recent talk I've been giving. It's true that this is like the oxygen of developers. When it comes to the workplace, I get the feeling that uh, this is not even the first or second thought uh, for at a, in a workplace. Is that your experience too? And uh, how can we, as developers, as a community of developers, uh, get bosses, founders to acknowledge that developer experience matters to us as a developer because that's the very first thing that needs to be set as a foundation so that we can do our craft in, in a better way. Well, I mean, this is all anecdotal, but I wonder if there are studies that could, could show this. I know that there are studies that can show how developer happiness is impacted by their tools. So there's some studies already that show that. But there may, I think there's an opportunity here to look at productivity as well. Definitely, if you have better tooling, it can mean the difference between 
a developer making a, a new hire developer making their first commit and push to production on their first or second day versus two months later, right? There are some places you join, or I've seen this in the past, I don't know, uh, and I'm sure it's still still prevalent. There are some places a j- developer will join and they it, it takes them weeks before they are able to really make any kind of valuable contribution. And a lot of that is all about the tools. It's it's about how you deploy. It's about how you develop. And so if the company doesn't have a, a plan around that or any kind of framework in place for the developer to use when they start there, then they're on their own for the most part. And at previous companies I've worked at where there wasn't a focus on developer tooling or experience, that's what it boiled down to. Each developer was kind of responsible for their own experience and for their own tooling around things. Sometimes a developer would create a tool and then they share it with the team, but because they didn't have a culture of, this is the tool we all use uh, to, to build this thing and to deploy it and, and whatever and, build and, and test it, because that didn't exist, it didn't become a part of the workflow. Whereas on the other hand, when you do have that in place and a developer builds something that is helpful and useful, then it can become part of that workflow. And you can even code it into the workflow so that the other developers are running it without even thinking. And so uh, good examples of that, especially at my current company, are really just the build process. You know, all the things that happen when I push a branch up to the repository, the remote repository. It goes through Circle CI and runs all sorts of things on it. And these are things I don't even have to think about running. It does all of it for me. But even the act of like running it locally, there are some things I have to think about. And that's built into our tooling. And you know, it it wasn't, it's not all great. There are things that could be polished, things that could be made better. But for the most part, like we are continually improving that so that we have a better experience. And I think that I think it is at a good point right now where when new developers join the team, they're able to make contributions pretty quickly. And so I think that's important anywhere you go. It's an interesting thing you mentioned because when we see developer experience at the, in a workplace, I think the major role in this uh, equation is the technical lead or the manager, because they are the first line of defense for developers. So relating to my previous experience, uh, I had the opportunity to lead a team at two different companies. In the first company, it was very difficult. I could not fight for it. In the second one, I saw it was possible. So I was able to do that. But since you have more experience than me at, at this stage, you have been with so many companies and you have been a director, a head, and team lead. What is your feel on this? Does leaders in development, are they willing to push that or they simply just? I think that there's an appetite for it now, nowadays, but that's given a limited kind of exposure to all sorts of people. I, I think there's always going to be people who push back on it, managers who just who don't understand the value. 
but I, I do think that there is a lot more openness to it. There's a lot more about it and spoken about it in best practice circles. And especially like at large companies uh, like Amazon and Facebook and wherever. And people tend to, managers tend to look up to what's going on in those kind of companies. So because they see that there's that happening, I think that's why a lot of people are more open to it nowadays. Uh, I also think it depends on your team makeup and your team structure. You've got to have some people on the team who kind of are interested in building those things out. And uh, some companies nowadays are putting together special teams that kind of do that, their DevOps team or their platform team who are able to kind of build that tooling for them. But if you're in a company where it doesn't have that capability, then it's really on the developers. So in those cases, it's it's really a case of, I, I think the best thing for the developers to do on their own, if they're not being supported by their manager to build these things, is to build it in small chunks. So if you have a small team and you've built a, you've written a script that helps you deploy the site, well then put that script somewhere where everyone can have access to it and agree up among yourselves that this is now your deployment process. That's, that's what you're going to use. Or if you use something that helps you run the tests in a more efficient way, you know, you're just going to make little incremental changes along the way that help your job become easier and smoother. And if you can show how it's helping make your job easier and smoother, that's going to be a lot of good ammunition to bring to your manager. I was going to say, you mentioned though, that I was a director in the past and I was even a VP of engineering. I was horrible at those jobs. So I wouldn't necessarily think that I have the the best experience or advice on those jobs. I am much better as an individual contributor, I think. (laughs) I would like to say you lead by example uh, in your uh, developer experience philosophy because you have created projects and skeleton around it, uh, namely the PHP library starter kit and the dev tools. Can you tell us about these uh, tools that you have built and why did you build it and what's the plan? Sure. Actually, the, the why is quite simple. It's because I, I needed it. I found myself making changes as I learn more about Thing, the way I want tools in my library to work or any library to work, I would add that to that library. And then I have like, I don't know, a bunch of other libraries. So I have to go add it to all of them. So the idea behind the dev tools, which is a composer a plugin that I have, the idea behind that was, well, I could create this one thing that all of my packages require, uh, like under required dev. And whenever I want to make a change to it that is going to help me on all my projects, I'll just make it the change to the plugin and then all my projects get it. So that was the main reason why I did that. Uh, But then it, you know, from there became, well, this is something that could be really helpful on a team for developer tools they share across all of their projects, whether those projects are websites or whether they're other software packages they're building, it doesn't matter. Like you tend to have the same processes 
across all of your projects. So this is a great way to share that. So the library starter kit was really just an extension of that. It was me looking at that going, well, you know, I tend to start whenever I start a new library, I need to go look at one of my other libraries and pull these files over and, you know, set everything up. So this was a way for me not to have to do that anymore. And then I I felt like it was a good way to teach others about package development. So I expanded on it and added a lot more features for things that I don't necessarily need. Like when you run it, it'll ask you which license you want to use. I'm almost always going to use the same license. So I added that functionality for other people so that they could use it. But it's highly opinionated. So it is based on kind of my experience and the way I like my packages to be developed but are to be put together. But I think, and I hope that others have found it useful. In fact, I do know one person at least has found it useful. <laughs> Someone just last week submitted a, an issue and said, hey, there, it would be cool if we could do this with it. And I said, well, can you tell me what your use case is? Because, you know, so I can understand it better. And what they want to do is they are, they are building like, I'm going to describe it really bad, but I think that they have a bunch of, or they've got like a um, schema that they use that generates libraries for all sorts of different like connectors to their system. And they need to do this and replicate it all the time for some reason. Uh, that's what I don't quite understand. But in order to do that, they wanted to just use the library starter kit to completely generate the library right off the bat, like with all the files and everything in it. And then their schema thing would generate all the code that goes in the library. So they are building all these packages, which I thought was really cool. So um, yeah, I made some changes to it to help support that functionality. So now they can fully automate what, what it is they're doing. Cool. I will now step into Ben Ramsey as the new release manager for PHP okay. 8.1. So this year you have been chosen to be in that role. Uh, first of all, how is your journey going so far? Are you liking it? Yeah, it's going really well so far. I am working with Joe Watkins and Patrick Alert who are also release managers on it. Joe is the senior release manager. He's been a release manager before. And uh, Joe's kind of, you know, he is really kind of there as more of a mentor, kind of uh, to show us and answer questions as we need it. But uh, Patrick and I have been uh, managing the releases so far on our own pretty much. And we haven't really done any formal, like you do this week and I'll do that week type thing yet. I, I kind of suspect that after the general availability release, uh, 8.1.0, that we'll probably get into more of a cadence like that for the more regular release cycle. Uh, but right now, today, in fact, I don't know when you're going to be publishing this, but today we announced uh, release candidate number three. And so those announcements just went out earlier. And Patrick was the one that uh, queued those up and sent them out. 
And on Tuesday, I was the one that created the build. Uh, so what we do each time we each week we have a release, the release is always on Thursday, but we will do the builds for the release on Tuesday. And this gives us time to catch anything ahead of time that might need to be fixed for the build. And uh, once we do the builds on Tuesday, I think Christoph is the one who does the Windows builds. So he'll do the Windows builds. Then uh, Remy will do the Fedora builds. And uh, so they'll both report back that their builds worked fine. Or if they run into an issue, that's when we'll try to fix it before we do the announcements on Thursday. So that gives us a little bit of buffer time. But yeah, it's been going pretty smooth so far. There have not been a lot of hiccups. I think that there was one (laughs) case of having to figure out whether or not we were going to allow someone to contribute something after feature freeze. And uh, we dealt with that and uh, kind of um, the, the ultimate go- uh, the ultimate result of that was, no, this cannot be added because it is a new feature. I guess the, the main question around it was, is this a feature or is it fixing a bug? And we ultimately decided that it, it was a feature, so we wouldn't allow it. But uh, yeah, that was the only kind of like unsmooth or rough spot, I guess, because I can't talk today apparently, but <laughs> but it was the only <laughs> rough spot we've encountered. Prior to putting your hat in the ring, as Sarah puts it, what would be the main criteria for someone to be considered for this role? And is there any kind of interview process for this or is it just like uh, um, behind the scenes selection? There's not an interview process. It's not very behind the scenes. Uh, I think in the past, when they've asked for volunteers, if they've had one person volunteer, then there was no need to vote, right? The past couple of times, though, we've actually had to do votes for PHP 8.0. I had also thrown my hat into the ring, and uh, I was not voted in. That was uh, uh, Gabriel Caruso, who was uh, chosen for that. And then this year, I almost didn't put my name in. But then I changed my mind at the last minute and, and decided that you know I, I really wanted to do it. And it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time. So I, uh, I sucked it up and put my name in. And, uh, and I'm glad I did. Uh, it's been a, a good experience. The main sure. reason I changed my mind to throw my hat in the ring this time was because I saw that Eric Van Johnson had put his name in. And I was like, that guy's not going to be release manager. I am going to be release manager. So that's why I put my name in there. I love you, Eric. <laughs> that's, I don't know if you've seen, that's like an ongoing like, joke he, he's been doing on, on PHP Ugly is like hit him, you know, uh, blasting me and like complaining about how I got release manager and he didn't. So that's why I, I have to bring that up. But uh, yeah, as far as requirements for being release manager, uh, whether there's an interview process, there's not an interview process. Uh, I don't know what would happen if just like someone put their name in and no one knew who that person was and 
or whether they had any experience at all. Like, I'm not sure what kind of situation that would bring up. I don't think that's ever really happened. Everyone who's kind of put their names in uh, have had some experience with internals. They've been on the internals mailing list for a little while. Most people aren't going to put their name in if they like, unless it's something they really want to do. I don't, I don't think so. But in terms of like the criteria, really, it, you just need to know Git. You don't have to be a C guru. I know my way around C well enough to kind of mess with it and to know if I need to make some changes here or there. But it's not really my job to make changes or to fix the bugs. It's my job to say, hey, there's this bug here. It needs to get fixed for the release. And I can ask around and find someone who might be able to, to help fix it. Or, uh, and then it's also my job to make the releases, which involves you know, working with uh, uh, Git and GitHub. So that, that's the main requirement is someone, you, you need to be familiar with Git and you need to be able to communicate. I think that those were the, the two biggest requirements. Uh, other than that, um, you can. You don't have to know a lot of C. Uh, it, it would be helpful if you can find your way around the PHP code base. But uh, like, I am not. You know, I think Patrick is much more knowledgeable of the code base than I am. Much more knowledgeable about C programming than I am. So, you know, he's there to help with that, and so is Joe. But I haven't had any problems with that myself since since we got started. Is there any specific uh, tool set or softwares that you use on your stack for these process? I use CLion, which is a JetBrains IDE for PHP. And I actually posted on Dev2, Dev.2, how, how I set that up. And so if you go to Dev.2 slash Ramsey, uh, there's a blog post there that kind of talks about setting up C-Line for PHP development. I use that mainly uh, to, uh, to do things, but most of the time I use the command line for, the, for all the Git commands. I don't use a special tool for that. When it comes to release uh, managers, uh, do, would you say there is a lack of enthusiast or too many of it? I don't think there's a lack of it. But like I said, the last two times we've had to vote and so that shows that there is a healthy level of enthusiasm for the role. And I don't think we've seen that in the past. So it's good to see that now. And in the future, so what we did this time, because usually it's always been two people, like someone who is the more senior, who has the experience, and someone who is brand new. This time, Joe decided to take on two mentees or apprentices. And uh, that way, we kind of build up the pool a little bit more. So in the future, uh, once, once this term is kind of up, and I say term, it's, it's like we were elected to a term, I guess, in a sense. We have agreed that we'll be around for three years to do the releases for 8.1. And then after three years, 8.1 will be end of life. And so we'll no longer need to do releases for it. So it's dependent on the end of life. Right, right. 
And so I think that, you know, that, that would be another requirement for a candidate. They need to be, they need to be aware of that. It, it is a, a commitment. And I say that, I guess it is important. It is an important commitment. And so you need to be willing to make that commitment to, to say you're going to be around for at least three years and dedicated to, to doing these releases. And if, if you're going to miss a week or something, that's fine. Like in our case, I've been able to just be like, Patrick, I'm not going to be there this, this time. Can, can you do it? Uh, Patrick was on vacation for a couple of weeks. And during that time, I did all the releases. So we've been able to work it out. And, and I think that that's the, that's the key, really. Like you need to be able to work out you know, your availability with your partner or partners who are helping with the releases. How much of uh, time and effort are we looking at uh, per week? Well, the release cycles are every two weeks right now. I would say it, it is really kind of up to the individual. I could put in a lot of work. If I just do the bare minimum for the releases, also, which involves for me, I'll look through the bugs and the ticket tracker, see what bugs have been logged for 8.1. And I'll also take a look at the branches and pull requests And I want to make sure that tests are passing before I do a release. And so I'll, I, I kind of bucket all that together. It's you know several hours, a couple hours a week, but not a, not a lot of work. If I wanted to put in more effort, I, I can. I can go in and do development on my own, do much more triaging of bugs, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's up to the individual, but if you were only putting in the smallest amount of work, it would be you know three hours a week, maybe two or three. Considering this is a benevolent role, how are you managing your time uh, with your real life work and uh, this uh, role? Because it looks to me that it takes up, though it could take like two hours for you, but considering your your day to day, this is quite some weightage. On your personal life as well. Well, yeah, I I do spend a lot of time on my computer, and so so there's that. There's other open source projects I work on, and there's my regular daily work that I have with my job, and then there's family time, and so all of my time, and then there's like just like the what I call the veg out time, where you just want to like completely decompress and stare at a screen with moving pictures on it, your, my TV. So with all of that, it's like all of my time is taken up between all of those things. And I think that the, the short answer to your question is that I really suck bad at managing all of that. <laughs> I am not good at managing my time. I do manage to get the things done, though, that I need to get done. I, I prioritize certain things uh, as best I can. Definitely, I prioritize my job over that. I, I, do, I do all of you know, my open source work uh, in the evenings and weekends, mostly. But, but you know, sometimes there, I, I just need to turn off. So I just don't do the open source work and instead go, you know, chill out, spend time with my family, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm really bad at managing my time. I'm trying to be better. 
but I, I don't have a great answer for that because I'm so bad at it. One last uh, point uh, before we move to the next one. Uh, what would be the challenges? Maybe you, you have already given us an idea of the challenges, but for you, what would be the, the main challenge that you feel you would be facing ahead for these three years? I, I guess the main t- challenge would be time. Uh, it's it's that balance of time. I think that, I mean, if I could be a little personal, I guess is that I I I'm diagnosed with ADHD, and so like the biggest problem I have is is kind of finding that balance. And uh, I mean, the the thing is, I I I jump around from one thing to the next so quickly. It's just like whatever captures my attention is. It's just like always vying for the most uh, important part of my mental capacity. It's like I'm always trying to, you know, um, juggle too many things. And as a result, I often like drop the balls on a lot of those things that I'm juggling. And so the biggest challenge is really trying to to overcome that and to work within those limitations. And I think I managed to somehow be successful sometimes with that. I'm not quite sure how it works, oh, but so yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing this part. Uh, I didn't know your situation, but I'm thankful that you've shared with us. From what I can say, you are very successful, uh, Ben. Uh, like I've mentioned, uh, you're doing it uh, amazing. For me, you're you are a leader up there that I look to for inspiration. I even Think, how do you manage to do all these things? Even uh, during the PHP Test Fest, I was amazed. Wow, you, you juggle among so many things in your life. It's incredible. Thank you for all you do, uh, Ben. Uh, I think from the whole community, I think the amount of hours you put every day for the community, wow, I, I have no way to express how much gratitude we should have for you. Thank you very much. That, that means a lot to me. I do it. Because I think as, uh, as Rasmus Lerdorf once said in a, in a uh, talk he gave at Sunshine PHP, maybe it was the year you were there, like I do it for the, uh, yes, uh, for the dopamine hit or, or the, what did he say? I do it for the, basically it's the dopamine. But uh, yeah, I, I do it because I like it. I, I do it because I enjoy it. I get, I get a lot out of it myself. If it wasn't that way, I wouldn't do it. But I, I really enjoy all the people. I enjoy I enjoy the the code. But yeah, it's it's a lot of enjoyment for me. One last question before we end this section. Uh, just going to briefly touch on your role at Skillshare. You're a staff engineer there. I just want to understand uh, what are the responsibilities of a staff engineer. A staff engineer is something that is, it's a new title to me, actually. Well, I, I keep saying that now, but it's, it's new to me, at least within the last few years. I, at my last job, I was a software architect, and that was kind of what the title that I had been, I've had that title since 2008, maybe, across a couple different companies. And that had always been like the best title for an individual contributor at a very senior level, but it it wasn't really like a very good description of the of the role. 
since architect in other companies, uh, aside from the actual architects who draw up designs for buildings and stuff, software architects tend to be more abstracted from actually writing the code. They might be engineers, but they are more about design. And so as a description of my role, it was not very good. So when I, I learned about the, I learned about staff engineers and principal engineers. And when I joined Skillshare, this was kind of also more about like my personal career development was to learn more about this path. It's, it's an individual contributor path. You are a technical leader in the organization. You might lead projects, but your responsibilities are not about managing people or even leading like a development team on an ongoing basis. You might lead a team on a project basis, but, but not in terms of um, like managing them. And so you're a technical leader. You're also a mentor, kind of help set best practices and standards in the organization. You have a lot of input on those kinds of things. And I think it's, I think it's still new within kind of the industry, mainly because a lot of people have grown up in the industry and they're at the point where they've been, you know, you look for a senior level to position with five, you know, five years, right? That's what you'll see that on resumes. But the thing is like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Other people have been doing it for 20 years too. Lots of people. It's like, where do you put us? In that kind of role, other people are have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. You know, where where do we fit? Are we just like senior, senior, senior software engineer now? Like, how do you keep going? So a lot of the you know com- uh, Bay Area companies and all will have levels to that. Like, so level one, level two, level three. I can't remember what my technical level is, but staff engineer fits on that leveling chart, and so. When I, if I move to another company, it will be much easier to show where I fit in the level of an organization because of that, uh, due to my title. Also, it's much easier to articulate or understand what it is that my role is. My role uh, at this organization is not an architect, although I might do architectural things. It's not lead engineer, although I might do lead engineer things, it is a subject matter expert for lack of a better you know, term. It's, it's someone who has a lot of experience. I do a lot of coding every day, but I also spend time reviewing other people's code and you know, helping kind of direct how, we're, how, we, how we code. You've mentioned a good point there regarding people uh, with 20 years and 15 years experience. And this could be like maybe inspiring other companies to trail that path. All right, we move on to section two. Now, uh, enough of uh, tech. I want to know when you are not using your brain power as a geek, what is your creative side? How are you spending your time? Are you doing something creative? Uh, What is your secret? (laughs) <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I think my creative thing is writing code. So I spent, that's why I guess the time that a lot of people might spend on other hobbies, I spend on open source software because that is my hobby. 
But since that's kind of boring, I do also enjoy. Uh, well, right now, so I, I, I binge watch a lot of TV shows, which, you know, I, and I read a lot. So for the TV stuff right now, I have been binge watching. I just finished Star Wars, The Clone Wars, that whole series. And now I'm watching Rebels. And because uh, I've never watched them all the way through before. And uh, I'm really enjoying those. I, I read a lot of books right now. I've been on a journey to read all Nebula award-winning novels. And I think I'm up into like the year 2007 now. Started at 1969, which is uh, uh, the book that that won that year was Frank Herbert's Dune. So the Nebula Awards, if you're not aware, is the um, science fiction and fantasy industry awards. So they're the awards that are awarded or voted on by their peers. So other authors will vote on who wins that year. Whereas you might have heard of also the Hugo Awards, uh, which are similar, but they're the fan chosen awards. So the fans will vote on the books for that year. Yeah. So I've been trying to go through all the Nebula Award winning novels. And uh, the other thing that I, I do in my spare time is um, I will play D&D or play role-playing, tabletop role-playing games. Right now, on a, I guess, bi-weekly basis, I've been meeting with Oscar Moretta and uh, Chris Tankersley, Eli White, and Matthew Turland. We, we have our own group that meets, and uh, we've been going through different campaigns. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know Chris loves while gaming. Okay, we move on to the last section, uh, which is the rapid fire round. It's basically, uh, I ask you a question and you can reply quickly, or if you want to elaborate at some point, feel free to okay. do so. PHP from scratch or PHP using a framework? I do both. Coding or managing? Definitely coding. As I mentioned earlier, I don't like managing. Your PHP IDE of choice. For a long time, I would have said no IDE. I use Vim, but I have started using PHP Storm and I really enjoy it. Windows or Mac? Mac. What are you not very good at? Managing people and managing my time. If you were not into tech, what would you be doing? I would like to think that I would be a writer, but I don't do a lot of writing nowadays. I wish I did. I wish I did more. If you had to go back in time, what would you do differently? I honestly don't know the answer to this. I think my usual answer is that I wouldn't change a thing, but I also think there could be things that I, would, I might change. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what they would be, though. One person you admire in the PHP community? There's actually a lot of people, so it's kind of hard for me to narrow this down to one person. I will mention two people, though. Uh, at the risk of not mentioning all the other people that I that I think are are super important to me and that I admire, but I admire 
Derek Retsons and Sarah Goldman a lot. One person, project, or community that you feel is underrated? I don't know about underrated, but maybe under talked about, not not given as much attention right now is, and I would like it to get more attention, is Captain Hook. Are you familiar with Captain Hook? I've heard. I might not recall. If you want so to. It's Sebastian Feldman's project. I, I think I got his name right. I hope. Sebastian, if I didn't get your name right, I'm sorry. But it is a PHP tool for managing Git hooks. So, you know, yes, like your pre-commit hook, cool. post, post-commit hook, pre-push. And uh, I have really enjoyed using it. And it's featured prominently in my DevTools library that I talked about earlier. And uh, so, yeah, I definitely encourage everyone to go check that out. It's definitely a super useful developer tool. One beautiful moment in your journey with the PHP language or the community? I think there's there's a lot of good moments. I think that I would say a point that stands out in my speaking career is being able to go to Brazil and present to the PHP experience at the PHP experience conference there. They had a nice stage and it was up in front of, I don't know, I think I was told there were 3,500 attendees or something in the audience. I could have that number wrong. I don't know. It, it was definitely a lot of people. And they also had a translator who was translating it at the same time that I was speaking. So that was definitely an interesting experience. And uh, so that's going to stand out on my mind. But yeah, there's a lot of other moments that I think are, are equally beautiful and important. One PHP project that you really appreciate? Uh, again, I'll, I'll say Captain Hook on that. It, it's, uh, it's one that I'm super excited about right now. One fact about PHP or the community that very few people no. I think the big fact that very few people know is that the core developer pool is small. And Joe Watkins wrote a blog post earlier this year, or maybe last year, talking about the, the bus factor and saying that he had calculated that the bus factor for any feature in PHP was like around two or three people. Uh, that's all it would take to lose the knowledge of, of that feature. And there are a lot of features that have been added to PHP that you know people just don't know how they work uh, except the person who added them. And that's, that's a big problem we have. And so I think that one of the most important things I could probably do for PHP is to try to raise awareness about that and encourage others to, to pitch in and you know, get involved and help as well. Uh, if you, especially if you know C, if you don't, we can learn C together. So I think that that's an important thing. 
normally this would be the last question, but I get a feeling I, I have to ask you this question that oh, just no about. The PHP community is evolving through all these years, and it, it is going to take a new turning point as well with the language changing uh, facet and all these many uh, small niches cropping up and popping up. What is your feel uh, on how the community is moving? Is it moving in the right direction? If not, what would be your message to the community at large? I don't think I would presume to know what the right direction or wrong direction is. I think the language is moving in a good direction. I do think that it is maybe moving a little too fast in some ways. Uh, but I think that what I would like to see is more people kind of contributing to the core and some substantial ways. And I don't necessarily mean through code. I mean, I would like to see more companies hiring some of the core developers and are hiring people who can be core developers who are, or who are, you know, instrumental in core development for certain things and giving them time, like, so to, to work on those things. So it, rather than like, donating money to the core, which there's no place to really donate money right now. They've hired someone and they're paying that person's salary to work on core. I know that, that some companies have done this in the past. I know that SmugMug is one company that did uh, pay someone uh, to work on core. I know that Zend used to or still employs people to, to work on core. JetBrains employs, I think it's JetBrains, employs Nikita pop off right yes, now. Yes. So there are companies that are doing this and but I think there need to be more. And especially for some of the companies that for which PHP is a, a critical, you know, core component of their infrastructure, they need to be contributing that to the community. The community is a vibrant community. There I don't think there's any real danger of uh, of problems there like the community comes and it, it, it ebbs and flows there's waves within the community sometimes there's more enthusiasm than others uh, you'll go through lulls you'll go through periods of real excitement uh, the Laravel community has come in and, and has re-energized certain parts of the community I, I really don't think there's any danger of us losing kind of that overall greater community but there is a definite danger of us like having stagnation in the core and not so much anymore with as we have introduced we've introduced some uh some processes that can help reduce that stagnation like the rfc process is new and i, I remember like 10 years ago 11 years ago there was a real worry that php itself was had been, had grown stagnant. There wasn't going to be any major improvements or changes to it. This was around 5.4. And that was completely wrong. Like it, it got re-energized. There were some community projects that really helped spur that on. I think Composer has been has played a major role in that. Uh, the PHP fig played a major role in making Composer 
possible. So like package development has grown tremendously. There's a lot of really good development and frameworks right now, but when it comes right back, and there's a lot of good proposals for improvements to the PHP language too, but it comes back to like, there are a few people who know how these things work in the core and we need to grow that community. Well, we are now at the, at the end of this uh, chat, Ben. Uh, for me personally, it has been very insightful and very interesting. Uh, it's like I could go on with you because <laughs> it's, there is so much thing that uh, you know and uh, it's, it passionates me. Thank you very much for your time, Ben. Uh, I hope the audience have really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you very Thank much. You. I hope so too. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Voices of the Elephant. Voices of the Elephant is copyright EICC Incorporated and released under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, share and share alike license. To nominate someone to be a guest on Voices of the Elephant, visit our website and click on the nominate link. The URL is voicesoftheelephant.com. Elephant is, of course, spelled E-L-E-P-H-P-A-N-T.